Hey fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here. So welcome to the Say on Cat and Mouse podcast. Uh, today we've got a really special episode. Uh, so on the Fraud Fighter chats, we've actually brought in our recently promoted uh, Head of Customer Success, uh, Balint Pakosh. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And of course, a pleasure to be promoted. Appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is really, I was really excited for this chat because... Normally, we, we are, of course, having discussions and chats and get to know yous with uh, fraud fighters externally. But I think your background before Seon is really super interesting. Uh, you were a team lead within a really well-known, uh, very high-risk kind of space. But I imagine the lessons learned from that will be really valuable. So today, we're going to dig into kind of your past a little bit. Uh, we won't mention any names because of the sensitive nature of, of it, but we can talk about the lessons. We can talk about, you know, how that shaped you in your fraud fighting uh, view and the skills that you picked up uh, as well there. Absolutely. Sounds good. Um, so, I might as well start off with, uh, with the actual origin story of mine. So uh, yeah, fresh out of university, you know how it is. You don't really know what you want to... Uh, be doing where you want to end up there was there was always some kind of an ambiguity in in the way i uh, i approached stuff especially because um I, I always liked doing maths and and just numbers in general i remember when i was in uh, in kindergarten and i couldn't fall asleep i just started adding up uh, seconds in minutes and then hours and stuff like that and and that's how i tried to yeah count sheep but i counted minutes Anyway, but I always was into uh, literature and psychology and, and just mysteries in general. Um, I remember my grandma giving me a heap of Agatha Christie books. So um, yeah, just having that investigative nature is, uh, is something that I think probably steered me in, in this, what I would say the right direction. After, after quitting university, a friend of mine uh, gave me a call about joining an, an anti-fraud team in a in a Hungarian company in the very high-risk uh, industry. I guess we might even say that it was an adult entertainment industry. Yeah, I actually just ended up there and started just getting to know the industry. So you might be aware of, of the issues that Hungarian fraud managers face. And I think this is partly too, too uh, worldwide as well. There isn't an actual school for learning how to fight fraud. There's no such university course or, or any kind of uh, course in general. And what we did there and what I did in later days with, with my, uh, my newest team members, my trainees, is you just have to have a very intense deep dive into everything that's fraud, that's payments, how, how a payment is actually made from you walking into a shop to a brick and mortar store, whatever. Maybe you weren't even aware of what was happening. I remember teaching this stuff to, to other people and uh, uh, yeah, I don't wanna jump ahead in, in these very deep stories, but yeah, I actually just ended up there randomly. It just caught my eye, caught my interest and I couldn't stop. I wanted to know more, do more, 
and fight more. That's cool. And you work yourself up literally from the operational level to eventually you're given more responsibility as a team lead. Uh, and then, like you said, you were kind of, you know, training, uh, uh, mentoring uh, and helping uh, kind of those new colleagues uh, kind of ramp up as well. Maybe maybe to go back and um, maybe to zoom out a little bit. So now, now sitting and, you know, experience working with um, other fellow fraud fighters in all different industries, financial services, um, e-tail, uh, crypto exchanges, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what do you think was the lessons that you might have pulled out from your days at that uh, at that uh, particular business, what was it that you think that you took away from that that you almost apply daily now? That's a good question. I think um, one one thing that I really had to learn the hard way is that um, if you're in the high risk industry, so it's sort of like a stigma. Everybody's very strict with you, and uh, especially when it comes to like uh, chargeback dispute processes. Yeah, the prejudice is something that you that you have to fight every day. Maybe some people don't even know that they're fraudsters. They just do stuff to to have fun, to exploit a few systems, and and they don't realize the impact of all of it. Maybe just to give you a tiny bit of story here, what I learned through the high risk uh, days that I had at that company is um, you you never know what to expect and. People can just surprise you in incredible ways. I remember uh, handling a chargeback case, and um, we actually got a hold of the the phone number of the disputer, and well, we called them, answered the phone. I asked, "Is this?" Mm-mm. And yeah, 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 yeah. This is John Doe. Uh, how may I help you? Well, we're calling about this dispute case. Why did you file it? I thought you actually enjoyed the services. Everything was fun. You you actually said that yourself in your review. Oh. Yeah, actually, this isn't John Doe. This is uh, Mrs. John Doe. John Doe's dead. Oh, okay. I see. Interesting. So <laughs> anyway, actually, the guy literally told us that he's dead after claim that it's him. So yeah, high-risk life is weird. And because they know that um, everybody's going to side with, with the innocent customer because we're so evil and, and high-risk, they think they can just get away with anything. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean you just have to be extra meticulous in how you document, how you audit, how you bring evidence, uh, if you like, to dispute the chargeback? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think there's no limit to what can end up being extremely useful in, uh, in dispute cases. And what I said, writing a review online about a service that you're planning to dispute, that's not a smart thing to do. And if you, you know, just see these things, just take a screenshot. It cannot hurt. You just save it in a folder because they might review it later. They might, you know, do a GDPR uh, twist and, and just remove their reviews or delete their accounts. But whatever you have saved and you have as 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 hard proof uh, of of them actually abusing chargebacks is is already awesome. Due to the nature of the of the service of the company, uh, many people preferred anonymity. Of course, we had to accept this. We had to comply, and. You know, working with that is, is kind of hard to find the boundaries between uh, legitimate concern for anonymity and actual fraudulent actions. So maybe you won't want to accept a disposable email in, in certain cases, but sometimes you just realize that people are going to use disposable emails, fraud tools or privacy tools, uh, different browsers, VPN services. And you have to accept that because that's the nature of the business that you're in. So you just kick yourself in the in the nuts when you enter this kind of uh, areas. 
not only the discipline to, um, like you said, amass as much information as you can, uh, but then secondly, that really interesting blur, especially in higher risk, where people, by default, they're using all those things, as you just mentioned, proxies, VPNs, et cetera, et cetera. How did that make you look at like interactions, transactions? Because that is really tough, where this is normal behavior to engage with your service if they're using those technologies. Yeah, it's tough. And I think um, what's what's really important here and I think in in general, what's really important in in being a good fraud fighter, uh, to me at least, is uh, is noticing patterns. I remember when I was still a, a junior fraud analyst at, at that company and I saw a transaction and there was nothing weird at all. And then I remembered, wait a second, I've seen those six numbers somewhere already. And I started searching. I, I looked into the database and I started searching and I found a transaction four months ago that was processed by me as well. And it turns out that it was the same guy. And that was his lucky number that he used in all of his accounts, but he only had three. So it was not like a huge fraud ring or anything. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is uh, just being able to notice patterns and getting a feel of a transaction, not really by by very, very hard, very strict rules or parameters, just, you know, you look at something and you already know if it's going to be good or bad. And due to the numbers that we had to process it was uh, basically the only way of surviving in that world. Maybe uh, reflecting on those days in the past as well, any um, mistakes that you felt you made in that early career uh, that uh, other young fraud managers coming in uh, into the risk space uh, can, can learn of? Was there any kind of big mistakes you made? Two things uh, which are kind of interconnected. One is overconfidence. I remember seeing a transaction or seeing a user or or even a journey or whatever and and feeling like, okay, I've got this. Um, nothing can go wrong with this. And the other part is um, due to my my slightly overconfidence, I didn't find it important enough to to connect with other teams because um, connecting with, with customer service or customer success who actually interact with these customers and they might even have had a, a discussion with this specific user when they logged in anonymously to the, to the chat service or in, in any way or uh, shape or form, just interacting with with other departments at the same company. So this is probably the most important thing that I learned um, over the few years that I spent there, that you have to know what's happening at every different part in the, in the company itself. I'm going to change the conversation slightly onto pragmatic. So yeah, it's, it's something that we're very proud of as a startup um, and your team, right? It's literally customer success uh, is made up of X risk professionals, fraud fighters like yourself. And we, we thought that was important because it's about getting into the mindset of our customers, because then they're using tools that obviously align. But I wanted to kind of go down two practical kind of uh, routes. Number one was, as you scale up a team, how does that look from your side? Now that you're on the other side of the fence, you're helping, yeah, literally the, the good guys uh, across mm -hmm. different verticals. I'm curious to how, how you think about things now. Yeah, interesting. I think um, the most important thing for me is uh, is diversification of your fraud team, both in regards to, to age, past workplaces, ways of thinking even. What I found really interesting is I worked with a guy, he was a junior in my team, and uh, he was actually Russian originally. That was his native tongue. And of course, there are many studies of people thinking differently when, when they, they have different native tongues. This was one of those things that I just 
found to be extremely useful that uh, he, he just saw a chat. And usually when we interacted with, with customers, we put the, the chats into Google Translator and just uh, looked at the results. But yeah, if you're a native speaker, you already get a feel of how things are going. And of course, that's not only in, in like the written text part, but the way of thinking actually, what they prioritize when, when looking at things. Uh, so maybe scaling your team in a way that all things remain in balance. So because um, some people prefer deeper investigations into really uh, tough to crack cases. Some people like to, you know, push out a bunch of cases at, uh, in a day and a short period of time. Some people are more proactive. Balance, balance is probably what, what I prefer the most. And that's the same in, in a regular fraud team or in my current customer success team as well. Martin who's uh who's a customer success manager in my team he's uh an extremely hardworking and very uh very meticulous dude he never misses any detail i find myself to be a bit more uh hectic in some cases i um you might notice it right now in our conversation that i uh, have a tendency to start rambling and uh, this might lead to very uh, useful thoughts or might just lead to actual rambling Anyway, diversification and balance, that's that's probably the two most important things that I have. And uh, of course, it's a huge challenge. Just like I said earlier, you can't go to a school to learn how to fight fraud. So when you hire somebody, you have to be aware of the fact that uh, there's a one or two months uh, training period. In that time frame, two guys are missing from your team instead of you getting an additional one. So that's a huge challenge. And that's not exactly the same for for other jobs or other industries. Um, I think that's something that we have to keep in mind. To touch on the learning side of this business, you're right, there is no formal education. More important to that, how do you keep on top of, say, the latest tips and tricks that the other side of the fence are deploying? What, what's your advice there? At Salmon, I'm quite lucky in this aspect because um, we interact with so many different companies and so many industries. We are kind of aware of what's going on in the high-risk space. Of course, there are the traditional ways of, of reading articles. The best ones are from Salmon, of course, but to uh, yeah, read articles, read online forums, try to get into uh, weird Telegram chats. That's, that's always a fun one where they share their internal secrets. I remember talking to, to Gergő uh, at our company at Salon about the carding Telegram chats that he gets into. So if you start thinking like a fraudster and uh, thinking about where to uh, share some information, that's where you want to look for it. Because of course, it's not going to be on Wall Street Journal. It's definitely going to be on, on a weird Reddit forum or a, or a darknet thread somewhere. And uh, I think that's why I had to throw out three laptops already. Um, <laughs> weird forums is not always a good idea, but it's definitely worthwhile. The funny thing with these is they're not just on like a dark net anymore, right? They're in the complete clear net. So like you said, Reddit, or, you know, you can join a telegram group. And I know we are now seeing stuff on TikTok and uh, mainstream channels like YouTube. So, so some of this stuff doesn't, you don't even have to go weird anymore. Yeah. <laughs> for you, um, speaking to scaling up your team, you're looking for the, you know, fraud managers that are A players to join your team, um, as well as diversity. Is there any practical tips uh, you would try and pick up in an interview for what would give you a clue that this person's going to be effective as a, as a fraud fighter? Well, of course, there are the more general things when you look at the CV and you see how many months or years they spent at a company, that boring stuff. Also, the, the more generic skills like uh, how, how they're thinking, if they're a more analytical thinker, um, how they solve problems. Those are, of course, important, but that's not a huge deal. 
what I like doing is uh, I actually put together a little test of weird looking users or transactions. Uh, some of them are actually, well, none of these are real, of course, but some of them I imagine to be fraudulent and uh, some not. And I just give every interviewee this sheet of fraud. When I see their faces and they immediately turn into like a hunting dog, a hound, I know that, okay, that's the guy I'm looking for. When you're just eager to, to hunt down everybody, to, to just win, you have to be a winner. You can't really start fighting fraud already thinking about what you will probably miss because of course you're gonna miss a bunch of stuff because uh, usually our industry is more reactive than proactive. But if, if you can be incredibly vicious hound, then that's, that's probably uh, what I'm looking for. You, you know this, in our show, uh, it's the Say On Cat and Mouse podcast. Uh, we always make sure to ask our guests at the end, in the world of professional fraud fighter versus fraudster, who do you think is the cat in that? And who do you think is the mouse and why? Knowing the name of the podcast, I should have prepared for this question. Um, I think since I was talking about dogs already, that's a, that's a weird one. Didn't try to throw off your brand or anything. It's weird because when I, when I read about the new PSD2 regulations and stuff like that, I was thinking of, okay, I'm, I'm going to lose my job because prosters are going to just disappear. So maybe for fraud fighters, the actual fraudsters keep them alive and give them jobs. So that might make us both both. <laughs> I, I remember talking to a few fraudsters and I remember that uh, sometimes they just want to uh, see if they would be blocked. It's, they're just teasing the bear. And for that reason, I think uh, they would be extremely bored if there was nobody to fight them. So thinking of Tom and Jerry, yeah, I'd say both. It's, it's tough. Really depends on the case. Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.